0: This is India Bastien with Aubrey Calvin, and together we co-host Southern Queries, a podcast where we explore being part of the LGBTQ community in the South. We have some deep conversations, explore some great topics, interview some interesting folk about what it's like being queer in the South. Welcome to Southern Queries. Oh. This is a show where we explore the LGBT community, individual experience, and personal identities. Some terminology that might be different or new to you. This is part of what we are exploring here through our conversations. Listen with an open heart, and we welcome any polite and respectful engagement. And we encourage you to continue these conversations in your life and your community. Well, welcome to Southern Queries feel all official about it. Um, all
1: right, well, welcome our first go-ahead at
0: this. Woo! woo And hopefully we'll have some groovy, you know, cheers in the background or something. <laughs> <laughs> so today, I really want to just kind of get to know you better, but more than anything, have our audience get to know you better. So um, without further ado, I thought you could introduce yourself.
1: Okay. Um... You probably shouldn't say I'm um, a lot on a, on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so my name is Aubrey Calvin. Friends call me Bree. And I live in North Texas, which I've been here for the past 13 years or so. And I've got this wanderlust about me and that I'm ready to move. But... I've almost always lived in the South. So when I move, it'll probably be to another Southern place like North Carolina, because I do have a deep love of the South. I teach government when I'm not writing. so I do a lot of writing, and I've been enjoying really getting back into the habit of trying to write more. But I teach government at a community college, and I'm a firm believer in community colleges. We give you a quality education with how it you a lot of money, and what else? I am a trans woman, and my identification really depends on who I'm talking to.
0: Ooh, how would you identify if you're talking to me?
1: Well, to other people in the LGBTQ plus community, I identify as queer because there's a better understanding of what that is. When I'm talking to older people and maybe say baby boomers or the early Gen Xers, I will usually say bisexual because that tends to be something that they understand more. And when I'm talking to my students, I don't tell them anything, but I also advise a LGBTQ student group on campus. And there I tell them that I'm queer or pansexual. So it really does depend on where I'm comfortable and who I'm talking to.
0: Have you ever heard of the term code switching?
1: Yes. Do you feel yes. like you do that a lot? I code switch when it comes, when it comes to queer issues in a very interesting way because I am African-American and racial code switching is a big thing that I have never done. I don't racially code switch and I had that pointed out to me and I didn't realize that. I just talk the same way using the same words to everybody.
0: So do you think not racially code switching is good or bad? Or neither?
1: I don't think it's a value thing. I think it's just me. I mean, my parents and the way I was brought up, we were taught to have an extensive vocabulary. For years, I was not allowed to say big. I had to say something was large or use a different adjective. I was not allowed to write very in any of my papers that my mom edited. I had to use a more accurate adjective. Um, I grew up saying pachyderm (sighs) instead of elephant, even though a pachyderm, I believe, can also apply to a hippopotamus. (laughs) Uh, And and So the big thing is I grew up on military bases, which are very multicultural, multi-ethnic. So I never learned how to code switch. So it's not that I choose not to. I only know one way to talk.
0: (laughs) So tell me about you growing up. I mean, where were you born? And then where would you consider your hometown? And do you even consider somewhere a hometown?
1: Mm. I was thinking about this, this idea of a hometown. I was thinking about this the other night because I don't know if I have a hometown. Mm. I have a familial town and a familial relationship but as far as what i consider home that's a tough one um i was born in louisiana on an air force base on barksdale air force base which is just outside of bozier city right near shreveport so it's north louisiana it's not by new orleans but i have no connection to it because that's just where my dad was stationed at the time And then from Louis... Go ahead.
0: No, no, I was going to say, did you guys move around a lot? Like, was your time at these stations like years or limited or it
1: varied? It did vary. I don't remember anything about Louisiana. I left there when I was two or three. Oh, wow. And then we moved to Japan for four or five years, which the memories and pictures I have of Japan, it is one of the most beautiful countries in the world and I'm dedicated to go back there one day. It is a gorgeous country. So I lived there for five years. Crazy, love it. After that, I lived a year in Southeast Oklahoma, so back to the South. Yes, Oklahoma is the South. I don't care what some of you say, if you've ever lived there, you know, it's the South. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I lived in Southeast Oklahoma, And that's actually the closest I have to a tough home because my parents are from Tulsa, Oklahoma. My most of my relatives are in Oklahoma. So I did a year in Oklahoma and then we did five years in South Dakota, which I'm sorry to say is not in the South. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then after South Dakota, my dad retired, and my mom, my dad, my my family, we all moved back to Oklahoma. And I, from middle school on, I lived in a suburb of Oklahoma City called Edmond.
0: So I feel like um, depending on who you're talking to, sometimes people consider where they spent the most time in their formidable, like their forming years. That's what they would consider their hometown, like. Mm-hmm would you say your middle school time in high school was all in Oklahoma? I mean, Is that something you would consider home? I think home? so.
1: I, if, if I was forced to choose, I would say Oklahoma. Okay. Because I did do eighth grade on up and then I went to Oklahoma State University for my degrees. So I spent a lot of years in Oklahoma and with Now, between degrees, I did spend a year in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And I fell in love with Washington, D.C. Emotionally speaking, my heart will always belong to Washington, D.C. It is the most amazing city. It is where I first came to terms that came to terms with the idea that I was trans and that I was not straight and cisgender. But it was also a a place that has a lot of heartache for me. And so I could talk about that later. Um, but Oklahoma, and then I came down to Texas to teach and go to graduate school. And I've been here in Texas for 13 years, which was never the plan. But I like Texas. I met my wife here. We've got a daughter. I like it just fine. Texas is okay with me. <laughs>
0: So, Aubrey, that was going to be my next question was, um, do you want to share your coming out story? And I don't know if you have multiple ones, because I feel like sometimes people have multiple realizations of their identity and they don't all come at the same time. And if you're not comfortable, and I'll move on to a different question.
1: No, I can definitely talk about that. That's part of why we're here is to, have these conversations. So you've just heard me say I grew up on military bases. Yeah, I grew up on military bases in the 80s and early 90s. This is before Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the time when you were discharged from the military without any type of your benefits or your pensions and you lose your GI Bill. You could not be gay or lesbian or trans in the military so I had no understanding of it and people always say that I don't get things socially and I'm a I'm late in understanding things and I'm embarrassed to say this but when I was a kid I did not know if Tracy was a man or a woman Uh, (laughs) Because the idea of a more masculine or butch lesbian woman was not something I was familiar with. Yeah. So I didn't have any frame of reference. I knew that I was different as an early age. I knew that I wasn't like a lot of the other kids. Most of my friends were always girls because that was the environment I was more comfortable in. Mm. But as far as coming out, I didn't start exploring my gender identity or sexuality until college. I spent a lot of my high school years being angry at the world because I didn't understand things. I knew something was wrong and I couldn't put my finger on it. So I feel like I was not as nice as I should have been. (laughs) If you talk to people from my high school don't, I think they'd have, I don't know what impression they'd have of me at this point. Uh, but I started exploring the ideas behind my gender identity and sexuality in college. I tucked most of those feelings away for decades. And then I didn't actually come out until 2014 when I was already married to a cisgender heterosexual woman:
0: Aubrey, can I ask how old you were?:
1: If I tell you that, you'll know how old I am <laughs> So let's just no, say I'm, you were I'm, older in life <laughs> no, 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 what, what, what was that?
0: <laughs> I said, let's just say it was older in life and older than most people quote unquote come out and I say most people because I feel like there isn't a perfect age to come out um.
1: I was 32 Wow! when I came out. I am what's called a Xenial. I'm right on the cusp of being Gen X and millennial. Yeah. Uh, depending on how you look at it, I was born in 81. So um, I was 32, 33 when I came out. and So you were my age. My- I guess. Is that
0: how old you are now? Yeah, I'm 32. I'll be 33 in October.
1: <laughs> I am wondering how old you were. I
0: was born in 1987,
1: so 80s okay, kid. So grew, you know, my little sister? There you go. So, which I didn't mention, I have siblings. Throughout that whole moving around thing, I do have siblings. But I came out when I was already, for the most part, before I was done with grad school. I was already starting my. Job as a professor, so
0: were you already my a parent? Life
1: well established what's that were you already a parent Mhm okay. mm-hmm. my daughter was three at the time wow four, eleven twelve thirteen fourteen so, she was four at the time
0: so how so was, I had a family. so how was so that, family. that experience and how how like how did you do it, and how did you come to that breaking point and tell me more
1: mm Well, I think, you know, if this does come out, we're going to have to put a trigger warning on this. (laughs) Um, But I struggled with depression for decades through college and after I've been to so many therapists and the thing and anxiety and the thing that was always at the root of my depression was my gender identity Mm. And that's part of where I say Washington, D.C. led to a a lot of heartache. That was where I had my first suicide attempt.
0: Um,
1: And it was actually a suicide attempt that caused me to leave Washington, D.C. and go back to the comfort of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State University. Uh, But I had a suicide attempt because at the time I was 22 or so, I could not accept being trans. and I still didn't have the language for it. I knew about trans people and gay people because, you know, Oklahoma state university, we had like, you know, the LGBTQ students and all that. And sure. one of my favorite college professors was a lesbian. And I never realized that until grad school, because again, I don't notice things. Um, so I had a suicide attempt in law school. I had a suicide attempt After my master's degree and in 2014, I felt myself going down that road again and the depression got to be too much. And I went on a work trip and I actually painted my nails and I got women's shoes and I was able to kind of, I don't know, relieve some of that tension that I've been building up. And at the end of the work trip, I realized I can't go back to how things used to be.
0: And this whole time you're married and parenting.
1: Happily married, happily parenting. But I was never one of those who was... You hear about these trans coming out stories where the individual, especially for trans women, the individual has a stash of cross-dressing clothes that they hid from their family or that one special suitcase, I didn't have any of that. I always said that if I'm going to be married with a kid and live a conventional cisgender heteronormative life, I was just not going to do it. Hmm. And something about this work trip, I gave into who I really was. And I was crying on the plane coming back home. And I realized I couldn't go back, but at the same time, my wife and I have a relationship of total honesty in that I refuse to hide or lie about it, you know? So So the first day, go ahead. No,
0: I just, I'm so curious i have
1: so many questions but i want
0: you to keep right? going <laughs>
1: no, it, it, so then so the night the night i came home from my work trip i told her everything i told her about uh getting a manicure and this beautiful pink color and um what was I her reaction her the, what's that what was her reaction i mean how do you react when your spouse, this professional academic black male, says, "No, no, no, I'm really a woman," so, I mean,
0: so when how you... you when you described what you did—putting um, the nail polish in, and buying the shoes—to your wife, was that you coming out to her?
1: Yes, it was. Wow. but i didn't come out as trans it was more coming out to i having this me having this feminine side and wanting to uh, uh, of me feeling like i was lying to her and that i was suppressing it yeah and it went against my rule our rule that we don't keep secrets from each other And this, I was keeping it a secret from myself for so long, just burying it so deep down. I was keeping it a secret from myself. But, you know, I mean, what do you say? There are tears. Yeah. There's there's anger. There's feelings of betrayal. I still, to this day, feel like I betrayed her. And we went through six months, nine months of questioning do we stay together
0: wow
1: and my wife is a professional scrapbooker and she's got a youtube channel and you'll hear so much about her on this podcast because she is my world so she's told this story on her youtube channel and her scrapbook so none of this is a secret to her sure um and we thought about well if i break if we break up do i get an apartment near the house because I refuse to not be in my daughter's life. I refuse to. I wanted to I want to see my daughter every day. Yeah. So I was looking at apartments nearby. I'm like, well, what if we get two apartments that are just next to each other? That way we can just parent and she can just go back and forth between the house. And at the end of the day, we're soulmates. Wow. We can't be apart. We didn't break up. We're still together. We've been married for and None of it, neither. We've been married for 12 years. We're still together. We made it through all this and we, we're happier and stronger now.
0: Ugh. I'm getting all emotional.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I get emotional talking about it because it's. I always assumed that if I was ever myself, I would have to give up the two people I love the most in this world. Wow. I mean, at the end of the day, my family is my world. And that was always my thing was I thought I had to make a choice, be myself or have a family. And that was leading me to depression and leading me to think of suicide because I said, well, at least if I commit suicide, they'll get a huge life insurance settlement and they'll be able, they'll be okay financially. <laughs> oh, my God. So, I'm more I'm very morbid, but so, I'm still here.
0: Aubrey, I have I have follow-up questions. Can I ask you a question? I have I so many questions. Lot. Go <laughs> um, ahead, yes. What color were the shoes? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
1: you said what color the nail polish was, but there was no image about the shoes. The nail polish was this beautiful soft pink. Yeah. That was prominent enough for me to notice, but not enough for everybody around me. Mm-hmm. These shoes were these basic pointy black flats from Payless because when you have this size 11 watts 12 feet you don't get those shoes everywhere (laughs) there were two pairs of ballerina flats a black pair and this houndstooth black and white yeah it was adorable and I cried when Payless shoes closed Payless for those of you that don't know was was a very low-cost shoe store, but they carried extended sizes. So for years, I shopped Payless, and I cried when they went out of business, and I cried when those shoes no longer fit me, but I still have them in a box.
0: Was, that was I my
1: follow-up question. Do you still have them? I, I do. <laughs> I wore the, No, no, wait, no, no. This is a different pair because oh. the pair I bought on the work trip, I threw away before coming home Oh, because I didn't want to be that person with the hidden clothing. So I threw away I threw them away. But a week later, after i had told my wife, I went out and bought the exact two pairs at my local payless, and I wore them until the soles were all ripped to shreds, and you can't wear them in polite company, but I still have them.
0: So I guess my other follow-up question is you come back from this work trip and have this mm-hmm. conversation with your wife. And you mentioned you guys went through months of trying to figure out if you were going to stay together or not and what that would look like. Did you come to terms with your identity and then you the rest of your life caught up to it or was it happening
1: simultaneously? I first, during that six to 12 month period, my first goal was a compromise.
0: Okay.
1: I thought, well, maybe I don't have to transition. Maybe I could be one of those people. And I do know trans people and I will never out anybody on this show, but I do know trans people that live double lives where at home, they're able to be themselves and then they're more closeted or they're not out at work. Sure. And so my first thought was maybe I'll do that or maybe I'll be gender non-conforming and present as male in the mall, but I just happen to be wearing skirts. Yeah. And I went out like that a couple of times, still basically male, but wearing these really bad skirts and I have very bad fashion sense. So <laughs> there are no pictures. There <laughs> are pictures. You'll never see them. Yeah. And... Honestly, the compromise didn't work because of our daughter. She was four at this time. And with a four-year-old or a little kid, they're still trying to understand the world. Sure. And so having a compromise of saying, oh, sometimes you have a daddy and sometimes you have two mommies, she was struggling with that. And my wife was struggling with that because she felt like she couldn't share her whole life with her friends and family. And we felt like, well, we don't want to be hiding things like we're ashamed. Right. And honestly, she told me that I needed to just transition. Wow. And she actually told me that if I didn't transition and be my honest self, she would leave me. Wow. It wasn't one of those where if you transition, I'll leave. She said, if you don't transition and be happy and be you, I'm going to leave you because I don't want to be in a marriage with someone that is pretending or someone that isn't happy or someone that is suppressing themselves. Right. So she told me to save the marriage. (laughs) I had to transition.
0: Aubrey. That's I mean i I have chills that's just so I, beautiful of your wife and I'm, I'm can you you see why I couldn't, I couldn't leave her yeah I mean, so I guess and, my my other follow up question is um parenting as a trans person man. i mean and especially the age that your daughter was i'm i mean i'm not I'm not a parent and i I feel like there's a point in the child's life that they start learning gender and start understand, like, I, it's taught in schools, it's taught in society. Was she at that point? And um, does she remember you as a different sex or she just referred, like, how, what does she call you today?
1: She has vague memories. Okay. I mean... I don't know how much you remember from being three or four, but she has vague memories and well, first don't have kids. Kids are expensive. I had money <laughs> before having a daughter. I did. And now I don't have any money because she's a preteen. So don't have kids. If you want to keep your money Fair a warning like to all of our listeners, <laughs> if you want to be broke, you know, have them, but don't have kids. If you want to keep your money, um, But no, to uh, to really answer your question, we actually, and this is something that I actually recommend. It worked for my family. It may not work for every family. We let her participate in the transition. So actually she helped me pick out some of my earliest outfits and we would paint our nails together And we had lots of conversations about it. Wow. And then when we started to realize, well, if I'm going to do a full transition or quote unquote full transition and present as a woman, I can't go out and be called daddy on the playground. And that's nothing against, because there are a lot of trans women that are parents that still go by dad or father For us, it was a matter of safety. Um, Texas is quite a conservative state. We live in quite a conservative suburb. We didn't want her to be picked on at playgrounds or at schools. We didn't want her to deal with that. It was actually easier for her to just say, tell kids, you have two moms and go with that. Wow. And so after playing around with some names, I am Maddie, which is a combination of mom and daddy. Yeah. And I've been Maddie for years, and that's still what she calls me, although we have a million nicknames for each other. Uh, As families do. <laughs> yeah, it's like right now I'm Puff Puff, and she's Little Puff. Cute. And don't ask me what that means. She just started calling me that one day. And so that's been this whole summer. <laughs> but <laughs> Love it. in terms of consistency, I'm Maddie. And it helped us. I think for me, the thing that really helped my family is that it was a family transition. Wow. Our, da- our daughter picked out the name she was comfortable calling me. And, you know, just over time, reminding her to use feminine pronouns and say she instead of he and... Reminding her to say Maddie instead of Daddy. And by about, after about a year or so, there was no problem. Yeah. Uh, And even then now, she still sees the pictures of me pre-transition. She knows my old name. That's not a secret. And my wife participated in the transition, too. She took me to get my first official pedicure. Wow. Because I was always skittish about people touching my feet, and my wife picked my middle name.
0: That's beautiful. So
1: this is a family transition that I get all the credit for.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I don't know if you can answer this, and this might even be like a whole separate episode, but how has this, in your opinion, affected the way your wife identifies? I mean, she's now married to a woman, right?
1: And she is married to a woman,
0: and she's parenting and I am with a woman. We've
1: been bringing our significant others in for a show. Yeah, and she already said she's willing to come on to talk about this.
0: Awesome, Allison said she was willing to talk about whatever.
1: Great, yeah. <laughs> she might be short worded, but she's <laughs> she'll she'll support. <laughs> well, with, uh, Victoria, my wife, she's like me. We like to talk. Um. She identifies as a cisgender heterosexual woman still. Yeah. If pushed to put a term on it, there's a term, and I don't know who to credit, to, credit it to, but heteroflexible. Okay, yeah. Meaning she considers herself basically straight, but she's in love with me and she sees me as a woman and accepts her as... Now, so she sees herself as straight, but this woman has girl crushes like nobody's business. Let <laughs> me tell you. <laughs> she has girl crushes like crazy, but she does identify as heteroflexible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm just, I'm so... I'm so touched by her openness and willingness and support. I mean, Oh, you married a good one. Um, she I might know, also right? have wonderful stories right
1: back at you, but I'm so impressed. 12 years um, going strong and yeah, it still amazes us to this day that we survived.
0: Well, and what a testament to your guys's commitment to each other as a married couple too. I mean, that, that is, I, I don't even have words to express it. And it's,
1: what a journey you've been on. <laughs> it is, and, you know, and it's a journey we're still on, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the magic of hormones is that I now, when I'm out in public, the world does see me as a woman. So there's less of that gender confusion that there was early on before hormones had really taken their effect there was there's less of that gender confusion and so now the world I rarely get misgendered um, which is good and that does help make us feel safer and more secure
0: was there a time that you didn't feel safe
1: as a couple or myself
0: both, or both? I mean it, it sounds like you know transition doesn't happen overnight oh, and I Um, do you think that you were more unsafe for being in the South versus if you were somewhere else? Like, I'd love to hear more on that experience for you and your family.
1: A lot of it is a Southern thing. Texas does not have laws on the books that protect same-sex couples. In terms of job discrimination, in terms of harassment, there are no hate crimes laws. And all of this was before the recent Supreme Court decision protecting trans and LGBTQ people of workplace employment. So there was that fear. There was a workplace fear. There was a fear of us being out in public. We live in a pretty conservative suburb in the North Texas area. Yeah. Most of the suburbs are pretty conservative here, and we live in a, a conservative one. So we don't actually do a lot of public displays of affection when we're out and about.
0: Because uh, of the fear?
1: Because of that. We want that level of safety. Which, and, I, and I've had very few bad interactions with people. I, I don't want people to think that I'm harassed and discriminated on a daily basis I think I can count on one hand the number of problems I've had in six years. It's been that little, but it's a level of comfort that we look for.
0: And do you think that your fear, regardless of the experiences that you have, is because Texas or the society here is so loud about being anti-LGBTQ accepting? I mean, where, where is this fear coming from?
1: No, that is a big part of it. We're not in California or New York where they they have workplace protections and this strong sense of community. We're in the South and we're in a conservative county and a conservative state. And so I teach government, so everything kinda of goes back to politics for me.
0: Yeah.
1: Texas has voted Republican for every president since Ronald Reagan.
0: Wow. That's
1: a long time. Looking at forty years of Republican dominance at the and so yeah, that's a big concern. Sure. And my I had worries about coming out at work and I actually applied for tenure that professor professional job security for a lot of teachers. Yeah. I applied for tenure the same year. I was coming out at work
0: wow
1: and so if i was smart i would have waited a year but you really can't time when the when when you can't take it anymore so i was applying for tenure at my community college at the same time i was coming out so the way it worked was and it's a year-long process for me applying for tenure I started telling my bosses early on, early in the fall, while I was applying for tenure. And I, we, they, we started putting a, a, a plan together to tell my job that I was trans and that I was coming out and changing my name and everything. And I have the most supportive workplace in the world. I love my job and I love my college so much everyone was on board and i really think that they could write a book on how to transition in the workplace in a way that's supportive and loving so again no bad experiences but there is that fear what if i don't get tenure what if they're looking for an excuse to fire me so that they don't have someone trans teaching students none of that's happened my job is wonderful i've had nothing but support from Members of the board on down. But the fear is always there because we live in the South.
0: That's so extra lucky, too, that you had such a supportive job. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, let's get them on the show. Talk about
1: it. No, we're not not bringing my bosses on the show.
0: That's fascinating though. I mean, how is, how yeah. many different like pieces in your life just really I mean, obviously it sounds easy when you're just talking about it, but I'm truly like taken aback on how lovely it sounds that all these different people were on board and there for you in different ways. Um I guess follow-up question to that is Did you guys have friends that were parents or a community of parents or just regular friends that were there for you as well? Mm.
1: Yes, yes, I will say uh, here in the North Texas area, and I'm going to put in a plug for someone that we hope to get on the show in the future. There is a group called Rainbow Roundup and it is an organization for families like ours lgbtq families so the gatherings aren't about bars and clubs and no offense to any part of that but my time doing all of that is over i'm going to water parks and i'm going to splash parks and i'm going to i'm going to bookstores with my daughter
0: yeah yeah
1: And so we did join this group, and due to how busy life is, we don't participate as much as we want to because we're all so busy. But they were welcoming the few families that we're friends with here in this area that also have kids my daughter's age. They're all welcoming and supportive, and the people from my daughter's school back when we had her in a formal school and actually – we could talk about that, but my daughter has been homeschooled for the past few years from before the COVID. We're a homeschool family. Yeah. But even when we had her in a little private school that we really liked, everyone was, wel- was welcoming and the director knew everything and we explained everything before we enrolled her. And a lot of families just thought we were a lesbian couple. And mm-hmm. we often get pegged as a lesbian couple people don't go oh trans woman cis heteroflexible woman they say oh lesbian couple so my wife actually gets not misgendered but what's the term for people assuming the wrong sexuality about you oh that's, we, need a we, need to, we need a term for that uh, <laughs> i'm yeah. like oh is there uh, i don't know <laughs> so wife is incorrectly identified more than i am interesting uh, all of our friends and all of our friends are basically straight couples. You know, all of them are basically straight, husband, wife, couple of kids kind of thing. And they're all warm and friendly and welcoming. And we have no problems. And I'm willing to answer any questions their kids have. And all my daughter's friends, they just call me Maddie. Everyone just calls me Maddie. And everybody just, you know, it's just Maddie. So we have a small community. The parent issue has been a little bit tougher and I have lost some friends that I've had for decades, but from our local community, we feel supported.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome given that, you know, North Texas is so conservative and there's so much fear that I think Southerners, queer Southerners feel. So I guess my last question for you is what does it mean for you to be queer in the South?
1: Mm. Being queer in the South is a set of contradictions, really. There is still a politeness about things where most of the discrimination you see is going to be subtle. It's going to be behind the scenes or online and social media is always just going to be horrible. You know, if you don't like trans people, or you don't like someone who's LGBTQ, you're rare, it's rare that you're going to say it to their face in the South, you're going to post a meme on your social media. But to your face, people are very friendly. And it's also a very religious state. And I am not religious. I know that I'm still figuring it out. I grew up in a very Christian, black Baptist family. I am. I prefer mimosa and sleeping in (laughs) over going to church. (laughs) Yeah, I, I know there is a God I'm still not sure if we're all correct on what the rules are supposed to be in the afterlife, but Texas is very religious. And so if you're a family that looks like mine, that isn't religious, well, most of the homeschool groups in this area are religious.
0: Yeah.
1: If you are not straight cisgender, most of the homeschool moms, because most homeschooling is done by moms, Uh, Most of the homeschool groups are run by straight, cisgender, mostly white mobs. So we've had to kind of find those small selective groups. So there are groups out there that are inclusive, that are non-religious, that are more secular. But it took us a lot of attempts to find those groups. It's not easy.
0: So why do you think it was difficult no, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, why, why do you think it's difficult to find these groups? Like, what makes them hard to find? I
1: mean, this is the South. This is Texas where religion rules everything. I mean, so are they religion more... is a big part of it, of homeschooling, of community life, of suburban life. One of the big questions is always, how are you doing? What church do you go to? <laughs> Yeah. to the church of my king-size bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, it's, and so, and uh, like another contradiction that you find being queer in the South, and we've already kind of highlighted on this very briefly, but one of the big contradictions is that I have a lot of privilege even though I, I do, I, I recognize I have a lot of privilege. I am very middle-class and I, I own a very middle-class home. I have a very middle-class education. I'm also black and being a black trans woman, if you looked at the numbers, black trans women were were most likely to be harmed and murdered is in the south and texas is a part of that the county next to us dallas county has had quite a few horrible murders of young black trans women yeah and part of the contradiction for my story is i have a privilege where because of my where i live because of my education And because of my suburban life, I'm not as in danger, I believe, as a lot of other Black trans women, especially young Black trans women who have difficulties with housing, who have difficulties with income, who have difficulties with education. And so part of my struggle is, how do I support these people? How do I support these, the, 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 how do I support the black queer community that I know statistics and research shows tends to be discriminated against in a way that I never was tends to have job difficulties in a way that I don't have and have economic difficulties that I don't experience. So how do I provide support Is it enough that I donate to charity? Should I be using my voice? And part of what I hope we do with this platform is bring awareness to some of these issues and look for solutions and try to find people that are being a part of those solutions. But then how do I build that sense of community with them if I don't have the shared experiences? So it's complicated contradictions everywhere. Well,
0: and even that term community—do you have to have shared experiences in order to have that community, you know? Or do you just build it and create that community and find different ways to, um, I don't know, level with them or find something in common, even though you've never experienced it before?
1: Absolutely, and that's that—that's a struggle for me to understand. Sure, and I'm an introvert by nature. And I have anxiety issues, so I'm not going to be the stranger that just goes to the random get-together if I don't already know anybody there. Yeah. And I'm just not that outgoing person. So it has been a struggle to build a sense of queer community because I'm still not sure where I fit in and how i fit in does that make sense it does and i can't wait to explore more (laughs) (laughs) that is season that is all of season two that's 20 episodes where do you build your community
0: (laughs) so um aubrey i guess the closing comments is is there anything else you want our listeners to know or um that you think is Uh, Important for you to say in this last, uh, the first episode, not last, last part of this first episode is
1: what I meant to say. (laughs) Uh, Well, I guess about me in general, or Mm -hmm. just about the podcast. So, are we still talking about me? Yeah. Most I don't. This is the most. I hope we ever focus on me. Let's.
0: I don't know. There's some good stuff in there.
1: Never focus on me again. Agreed. (laughs) Okay, deal. Right.
0: (laughs) We might be interviewing your wife though. So. Yeah, that's her.
1: That's me. She's extroverted. People love her. She's popular. She's the popular one in the family. <laughs> I get, oh, so the one last thing I will say and I do think I kind of glossed over it earlier is my parents are supportive. They in my parents are in their 60s. They're still in Oklahoma. I do have a great relationship with them. But part of this 6 year coming out is that there have been years where it's been a struggle between myself and my parents, myself and my siblings. And we're all at the end of that now where I think we're all close again. And I think all of the tensions gone. And so I don't want people to think that I, my, my parents aren't accepting. My parents are accepting. They're supportive. They love me. They love my granddaughter. They love their granddaughter more than me. <laughs> so I do have an amazing relationship with my parents, my mom and my dad and my siblings. But that's been a part of the struggle. Is it? Part of me wonders if it's kind of been a fall from grace mm. a little bit. Yeah. In the eyes of people, you know, uh, I was—I I don't know. I, I'm still trying to figure out where do I fit in within my own family. With how do where do I fit in within my relatives, and how do I navigate all of that? So. There are teenagers who are queer and in this queer community, and there are young kids and college students that have so much more of this figured out than I do. I am still figuring it all out in a way that I don't know if I ever really will.
0: And that's okay. That's, that's <laughs> part, part of, of why we're journey. doing
1: the podcast. <laughs> That's part of why we're doing this, is we're telling other people's stories. And hopefully, we're also figuring out ours a little bit more.
0: Love it, love it, Aubrey. Thank you so much. I can't wait to interview other people and never talk about you again. Yeah.
1: we agree. <laughs> we have it on tape. Never have to talk about me again.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for everything that you shared with me today. Of I'm and just, next, I'm, I'm so, so touched. It is What's that? what's that I said I'm so touched by your story it's just oh, it's so, so lovely next
1: time we talk about you though Okay, I want um, to know all about you uh, oh. because here's what I think a lot of people should know we actually met you and I met through another podcast that's true <laughs> right, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know Thank you, Uh, Nancy Podcast. That's now is over. (laughs) They did this project, this gaggle project of trying to help queer people build community. And I think out of all of our gaggle efforts, for me, I can't speak for you, but for me, you're the only friend I think that's come out of this gaggle effort. So hey uh, one is better can, than yeah. none <laughs> we met through a podcast and now we're doing a podcast
0: <laughs> you never know we might be doing the same thing for other people
1: <laughs>
0: hopefully, hopefully hopefully that's awesome yes i do think that's a good and a, and a great way to um finish up our, our little episode is we met through a podcast looking for a community and looking for our
1: little gaggle of gays and here we are <laughs> <laughs> talking about community and talking about community building in the
0: South.
1: Love it. Full like right. circle. <laughs> <laughs> Full
0: circle. Thank you so much, Aubrey. That is all for today, y'all. Aubrey, my co-host, and I would love it if you follow us on social media, subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to leave us a review. And catch you on the next episode of Southern Queries. Oh, oh. Credits. Production. Your hosts, India and Aubrey. Audio mixing by Allison Hawley. Story research, Aubrey Kelvin. Editing, India Bastia.
1: This is Seven Queries. Oh, 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 oh,